Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. You know, I, I don't know about you, but when we sing a song that I've been singing since I was a child to a different arrangement... That wasn't supposed to be funny, <laughs> although trainer did warn me ahead of time. But it really helps me to focus, to think about the words. I don't know if you notice that. Sometimes you get so used to singing things, and you just sometimes you kind of. And there were some words in there that I hadn't even hardly paid attention before, and uh, that was really good. Thank you guys for doing that. You ought to at least once in your life come and sit in the front row and uh, enjoy the sound of your voices coming this way. It's beautiful. And uh, you ought to do that sometimes. Just come and sit in the front row with us and uh, enjoy that. Thank you so much. You notice, I, I hope you notice as we sang these songs today, how firm a foundation, the solid rock, rock of ages. You get a theme there? You get a theme there of how solid our hope is we have an anchor. Christ is our solid rock, and uh, we have an assurance that uh, only God can give. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We're going to dismiss the children at this time, the children's choir and children's church. And as they are dismissed, um, Gary, when he sat down, uh, he remembered that also, um, as we think about uh, people getting married, that uh, Stephanie Wilding and Brian are getting married in just a little more than a month. So that's going to be in May, and so uh, we have a lot to be thankful for, and uh, we have a Christian family, a Christian community that uh, means something to us, and that it's a privilege to be a part of. Let's pray. Father, as we come this time of our worship, we're going to continue to worship you by opening your word and considering your word. We thank you so much for the songs that we have sung, the song the choir shared today, uh, the special number also, the offertory, Lord. Um, all of these have uh, touched our heart today, but what's more important is that we are here uh, to touch your heart. Now, we are not here uh, for ourselves. We are here to bring honor and glory to you, and in doing so, to encourage and fellowship and, and admonish and build up the body of Christ. And so we offer this time and continue to offer this time as an act of worship to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. About 40 years ago, I was uh, wrapping up my undergraduate uh, college at Grace Bible College and then getting ready to um, transition to Seattle Pacific in the fall. It'll be 40 years this fall, working my master's degree uh, in uh, Christian education at Seattle Pacific. I think it was Seattle Pacific College back way back then, uh, now Seattle Pacific University. And as part of my program, I, um, I had to write a master's thesis. It was about 110 pages. And back in the days when you actually typed like this, you know, remember those? You had to roll up to remember where to put the footnotes, and then you change one paragraph, and everything changes. And um, it's cheating today, you know. You just hit a button, and everything happens, you know. But anyway, uh, not like the good old days, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I finished my thesis, and I remember I had to pay. Uh, you know, I was uh, um, we had the children and I was starting my career back in Minneapolis in ministry. So I was finishing up my correspondence, coming back to to to, to defend it. I remember having to pay forty dollars, I think, to for each copy to be bound professionally. And I have one sitting in my office way up high. 
and I know there's one somewhere down in Seattle Pacific in the archives, is my thesis. I'm sure that has been a very popular book that... <laughs> And I'm assuming that Pastor, I mean that uh, Professor Hansen, my nephew, I'm sure has put it on the reading list for his classes, I'm quite certain. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, nobody, including myself, has read it um, since then. But I think if I got it down off my shelf and read it, I would find a phrase in there quite often because it was sort of the popular contemporary phrase to describe the church. Each generation kind of has you know, some vocabulary, becomes important to them. And the, of that vocabulary, the words, the phrase that was used to describe the church was the faith community. The faith community. And I'm quite certain that's in my thesis uh, many times. The faith community. Because my thesis was on uh, um, theological foundation for Christian education for the faith community. The faith community. What is your faith community? Now, I know that we have visitors here today. And... Um, whatever, what, do you, what is your faith community? As you look back over your life, um, what are the, the, if you look back over your lifetime, however old you are, who has been, who has been part of your story? Who has inspired you, if, if, if you don't mind me saying that? Who comes to mind when I talk about people that have, in, that have really been an example to you of living by faith? Living by faith. We sung this morning, about the, the, the rock of our salvation, the grounding that, that, that we have faith in. Who has been your example? Who has been your example? Who, who would you say, if I were to go around and ask you individually today, who has been, who, who is that person, who are those people that are part of your faith community, that have really been part of your story, that have really encouraged you and strengthened you, and that every so often, even in your own life, you might be going back to and saying, uh, boy, I remember how that person, um, I remember how that person uh, really had faith in the Lord. We go to Hebrews 11 this morning. We're going to, for a few weeks here, we've been kind of going at breakneck speed through the book of Hebrews. And we're going to slow down a little bit here now. Because we're going we're gonna to look at chapter 11 and we're going to go for several weeks actually in chapter 11. Um, and we're going to take some of these key individuals who have been part of Israel's faith community. This is their faith community. This is the epistle to the Hebrews. Just always keep that context. That's why it's called that. These are Hebrew Christians. The audience primarily, obviously, as Paul says, all Scripture is for us. And there are so many things, hopefully, we've seen in this, uh, in this epistle that apply to us and challenge us and draw us close to Christ. But I want you to also remember the context. This is to the Hebrew believers especially. And their context was they had a, a deep faith community history. A wonderful story, even though a, a difficult story in the Old Testament as well. This is their story. So we're going to take a little bit of time and, and spend a few weeks and looking at some of these key characters. And then we're going to finish the rest of Hebrews. Next week, Pastor Gary's going to preach. We're going to see what, we're going to really see what Gary's made of. He just told us that next week he's going to be in charge of his boys all weekend. Right? And I just, uh, he's going to preach as well. So listen, I'm sure you all want to come and see how he, how he does that. How he, how he manages to be in charge of two boys without Rachel for the whole weekend and still come and preach a dynamic sermon to us. Right? Okay. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain 
of what we do not see. Hebrews 11. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that we, what we see was not made out of what was visible. And then as we go to the, to the end of the passage, we're going to come back to the middle part here. Without faith, verse 6, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is the chapter, this is the faith chapter, if you will, in the Bible. Um, as we go through this together, hopefully we're going to see, and I, and I, want, to, I want to take back something I've said for many years that if I had to take back now, I think, I think it was wrong. I've often referred to this chapter as these people were heroes of the faith. Um, and while that is true, by saying that, we sometimes lose sight of the fact that these were just people, just like you and just like me. As we look at some of these stories of these heroes, we will also see what well, we could also remember and recount some of their flaws, some of their humanness. And so I, I, I'm not so sure if I would call this um, heroes of the faith as people of the faith community that God used and God empowered as examples for us. But they're people. They're just people, even going back to the earliest story that we'll go back to this morning. We have in chapter 11, verse 1, really uh, the working uh, description of faith. One of the authors said it's not a definition, it's a description. Not so sure exactly what the difference might be there, but what is faith? Faith is being sure. Now notice this. Notice sort of this ambiguity or this, this perplexing thought here. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's, it's being sure of what we are hoping for. And of course in the scriptures, when this word hope is used, you know, the word hope can, depending on how we phrase it or how we say it or the context, can have some pretty distinct meanings. Uh, I hope the Husky women win today in the final four, right? You know they're playing today, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it's during the evening service tonight. But anyway, um, I hope they win. That's one type of hope. But our hope in Christ and the hope of the gospel and the hope that he is speaking of here is, is not conditional. It's the rock. It's the certainty. And he says here that, that faith is being sure of what we hope for. This is faith, that we are assured of something that we hope for in the future. Both of these are, are present um, applications, but also a future context. Because the next half it is, and this is, a, this, this is a, um, a very typical Hebraism here, by the way. This is the epistle to the Hebrews, who's ever writing it. And we, you know, we didn't, we ever spent a lot of time talking about that. There's different opinions on it. But it is in a Hebrew context. And if you, if you, if you keep this in mind when you read the Old Testament, especially in the poetic books and the, and the, the, uh, the literature type, um, you know, the, of the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes and so on, you will, and often the prophets as well, you will see this all the time where you say something 
and you rephrase it and you say it again, but it's sort of the same thought. This is a very distinct Hebraism in, in, their, in their literature from the, from the Old Testament. And he says here, he says it twice. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How can you be certain? How can you be certain of something you don't see? How can you be sure of that? How can you have assurance of something that you are hoping for in the sense that, not that it's conditional, but that it's still something out there that is to be finally experienced? One of the phrases we, in, in our lifetime, I think more in, also in the last generation, has been a, a theological phrase you'll find. I can't remember exactly who, I don't know if it was Carl Barter who actually pioneered this, Gary, but it was this phrase of already, not yet. You'll see this quite often in theological works. Already, not yet. We are already saved. We have not yet fully experienced heaven, the resurrection, obviously. Um, we still live in a tainted world. We still live in a sinful flesh. But we are fully saved. It's already, not yet. And, and so this is the context here. So when it comes down to it, what is faith? What is faith? And when we talk about this here, I want you to think in terms of chapter 11 as not just salvation faith, not just salvation faith, but also of living faith. This is applicable to these people. These people are already believers in Christ. These are Hebrew Christians. They are Hebrew believers, but they are admonished to live out their, their faith. Calvin said this, and this is a very good quote. It is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. It is faith alone that justifies, but that faith that justifies is not alone. It is an ongoing life experience. You are still experiencing and living the Christian faith. You were inaugurated into this community of faith by your initial acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Savior. But that did not end the story of your faith. That is the beginning of the story, which will find its culmination when we are before him with all believers of all time on that day of resurrection, that day of our blessed hope. So we have here a description of faith. Now also, I want you to notice that you actually have some kind of legal terms in here. When he says here in verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. The word they're commended is really the idea of a witness. It would be like in a legal trial. A witness gives up and gives a, a, uh, a commendation, if you will, about the situation or the person on trial. It's a legal term. And these ancients, these ancients would be these people of their community of faith of Israel, men and women in this community of faith, that they were commended. God gave witness that these people witnessed in their life the genuine effect of faith. And then he goes on to explain the starting point in the Bible. It's by faith that we understand, we believe, we are certain that the universe was formed at God's command or at God's word. So that what is seen was made out of what was invisible. The starting point, when we think of the whole story of creation, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke, God said, let there be, let there be. 
Let there be. It's God's creative work. And of course, we cannot fully understand how, how and what God, but what He did, except it says that the Bible clearly says that, let's, let's just say this, when it comes to evolution, we can, we can certainly say this. At one point, if, if a person accepts evolution at some point in, a, in its entirety, at some point you have to answer the question, where did life come from no life? At some point, life has to start from no life. The Bible tells us that God created the world. God created life out of, out of no life. He, he was the only life. This is a matter of faith. This is a matter of faith. Yes, it is. And it's a matter of faith that, that you have to decide. You know, it's interesting. Last Sunday in the paper, I happened to notice a little article. I tried to do a little tracking it down this week, and I didn't get as thoroughly as I wanted, but there were two. One was University of Chicago, and then also a commentary study from uh, Florida Atlantic University, I think it was. But anyway, the social survey, one of the recent social surveys that comes out of the University of Chicago, that doesn't surprise us that the statistics on belief in God and any, any adherence or commitment to a particular religion, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, whatever, that if you were to take that, it's going down. I don't think that surprises us, right? We are living more and more in a secular society. We understand that. It's, it, it's, this is what the first century Christians lived in, a secular society in the sense of, of the one true God. But belief in God is going down, yet... The belief in an afterlife is up. Now, how do you get to that? I mean, think about it. If, if, you, if you don't believe in God, what is your basis for believing in any kind of an afterlife? But the, the Bible tells us that, that it was out of nothing that God formed Everything we we have a certainty we have a story in, in, the, in the, the Christianity and the, the Jewish faith you know we have a story from the Bible that tells us in the beginning God created it is God who spoke and then we begin so, so this is the, this is where faith begins understanding that that we are here because of God we are here because God chose to put us here God chose to create this world God made this choice. And then we begin the story of these characters. And to me, it's really interesting. If I were writing this, or if somebody, if I had never read this, and somebody asked me to begin listing the people in the Bible that are real examples of faith, as we read the Old Testament pages, I probably wouldn't have started with this one. Uh, frankly, I never would have thought of this. But think of this, the very first, and this, this, this person is right in here with Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Joseph and Noah. The very first story, by, by faith, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Now notice, by faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. Now, now really, if, if you had never read this, if you had never read Hebrews, and someone said to you, let's go back and start talking about the, the people who really are examples of faith in Israel's, in this faith community, would you have started with Abel? We know so little about Abel, thanks to Cain. 
you know. And, and if you go back, just go back for a moment. Just go back, and we're going to come back tonight and touch on some of this again as we're going to continue looking a little bit more into some of our Sunday morning. But go back to Genesis chapter 4. Go back to the beginning of the story. We go back, you know, we're talking about families and talking about engagements and families. And we go back to this first family, if you will. The first family. And, 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 and Cain... And, and, and Cain is, is born. Adam, Adam and his wife, Adam lay with his wife and Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So Cain's born first. He's the firstborn. And then Abel. And Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, now I want you to notice, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And of course, we have this story where the Lord says, where's your brother? And this is one of these famous lines from the Bible that just about everybody knows, whether they know the Bible or not. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And Cain is cursed. And, and yet there's a story of God's love and graciousness. Because after this, if you read on and finish the story, you'll see that Cain says, I, I, I can't bear this. I'm, I'm doomed. I'm a dead man. And God says, no, I'll put a mark on you. So if anybody, if anybody kills you, I'll hold them responsible. I'm going to preserve your life. But you are cursed. You are cursed for what you did. You know, this first story, this, this first murder, think, think of this for a minute. You know, it's one of those stories we're, we're so used to. Just like, you know, I was, I was telling Teresa yesterday, you know, we heard in the news yesterday, um, was it two people shot and killed in, in Seattle yesterday in the area? And, I mean, I've lived in Seattle long enough that I can remember when somebody getting murdered and shot was like big news, right? Now it's like everyday occurrence. It, I mean, it does, do you, we don't even pay attention to it. It's like every day somebody is shot. It almost seems like every week people are killed, murdered. And it's, it's just so commonplace today. And, and, but think of this first murder. No one has ever been killed before. They've obviously killed animals because, because Abel brought a sacrifice of blood. But I wonder what Cain thought when he... When he, what, was, what did he think? Did he think he was just going to hit his brother? What, what did he know, was he intending to really kill him or what? And as he laid there on the ground and his lifeblood went out of him and all of a sudden he was lifeless. What did he think? What went through his mind? He killed his brother. And the story, but I want to ask you a question. Why is Abel in Hebrews 11 as the first example of this tremendous faith that trusts in God and hopes for what we do not see. 
and is assured of what we, what we have not experienced. Why Abel? Why not start with, with uh, Noah? Next week, Gary's going to speak with about Noah. Why not start with Noah? Why Abel? Well, you know, we have to read between the lines a bit. Um, except we'll find in chapter 12 that Abel is referred to again in reference to the blood of, the blood of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you look at chapter 12 and verse, um, we'll jump in the middle of a context, but in verse 25 and 26, at the middle of verse 25, you'll come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirit of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As Abel's mentioned again. The blood of Abel. What was it about Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice that God says, Abel, I, I accept yours. Cain, yours is rejected. He didn't, he didn't condemn. He didn't, I mean, Cain wasn't lost. God just rejected his sacrifice and said, Cain, if you, if you do what's right, it will be accepted. Sin's lying at the door. It's trying to master you. Take control of it. Don't let it do that. Do what's right. Well, the, 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 the first answer that jumps out, and you'll find this in most works on this and writings and so on, the first thing that jumps out is that, is that Abel offered a blood sacrifice. Cain offered a grain sacrifice. Abel took care of sheep, uh, animals. That was his job. Cain took care of the ground. That was his job. So that's kind of the first answer. And, and I think that that's, maybe that could be true, but the reality is it doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us that. That's sort of an assumption. It doesn't say that. It does not say why God rejected Cain's. It just said he rejected it. You know, the other possibility is that, that it specifically says that Abel brought the first fruits of the fat in other words, he brought the best. It specifically says he brought the best of his lambs, of his, of his animals. He brought the best he sacrificed. It doesn't say that. It just says Cain brought some. If Cain had brought his first fruits and the absolute best in faith, would that have been accepted? Well, that's up. You, you think about that. I'm sure we have different opinions on it. But the connect, Hebrews 11 is the story of what? It is the story of faith. So whatever the reason, Abel brought a sacrifice that was evident and gave witness or commendation, as it says here, that he had faith in God. A few weeks ago, Dr. Lindemann asked me, about a month ago, I think, he asked me one day, where, where in the Bible are the first instructions about sacrifice given? Where, where did we even find that? Where is it? And it's interesting. There are, there are no instructions. It's just there. I'll, somehow, in the earliest part of the pages of Genesis, somewhere, somehow, it was obviously communicated to them that you are to bring a sacrifice to God. Why? Why? Why kill a helpless animal? Why in the earliest part of the story, the first family, yes, God, God clothed them, so he, he had to have killed an animal and, and covered them with, with animal skin and, and blood was shed. 
But from that point on, why are people asked to, to do this? To, to bring an innocent, healthy, best, expensive, the best you have, and to just slay it and, and the word here, and to make a holocaust of it. That's where the holocaust comes from, is to burn it up to ashes and offer it to God, who certainly doesn't need an animal that's been slain. Abel did it. Why did he do it? Because evidently, God asked him to do it. And Abel had faith that whatever God asks and whatever God does is right. And I love God. And I'm going to do what God asked me to do. And he brought the sacrifice. Cain, evidently, whether it's because he didn't bring an animal or because he brought the second best of his crops, he didn't have enough regard for God's word, which obviously showed a lack of faith in God. Well, as the Bible story unfolds, and certainly as we have been studying in Hebrews, what was the point of animal sacrifice? It was what? It was continually looking forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. And when Christ died on that cross and his lifeblood, just like Abel's lifeblood went out of his body into that ground, and God says, it's crying to me from the ground. Cain, what have you done? Where is your brother? And as Christ's lifeblood went out of his body, it, it should have been, aha, now we understand why we've been doing this. It was looking forward to the cross of Calvary. I don't see how any other way you can read it. Otherwise, what was the point of it? That's what Hebrews said. We've been reading this over and over again in Hebrews. Come on, come alongside. Understand what God is doing. Get on board with what's happening here. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, last, last Friday, we celebrated the Good Friday service. And our youth, and many of you have commented how, just how, how much you appreciated that. Last Sunday, we had our Easter service. You know, we appreciate these services, and and Good Friday and Easter are over. So do we like Christmas? Do we pack up the nativity scene and put it in a box and put it away till next year? Do we pack up Good Friday and Easter and put it away till next year and have another wonderful service and time together? Or when we gather every week on the first day of the week, Whenever we share in that communion service and, and the Apostle Paul says, I told, God gave this to me, I give it to you. You do show forth the Lord's what? Death until he comes. We are to continually be reminded daily and at least weekly as we gather of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the only reason we are here and it's the only reason we are a community of faith today. Because of what Christ has done for us. I don't know what Abel understood. But he did understand this. I love God. And I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I don't have to understand everything. But he's asked me to respond and because I love him and I have faith that what God does is right, I'm going to bring that sacrifice. And listen, Abel becomes the first example in the Bible, according to Hebrews 11 at least, he becomes his first example of this powerful, tremendous faith in God. 
Well, we're going to, I'm going to, we're going to take tonight and look at Enoch. Because Enoch is the next example. And we don't have much about Enoch either. You know the story. Enoch was a good man. And he was there and he wasn't there. Well, where's the story of faith there? Enoch walked with God and he was not. I think the King James says, okay? Some of you that haven't grown up with the King James, you know, you appreciate that literature there. Enoch walked with God and he was not. He was not Enoch anymore. Well, what do you mean he was not? What was the story of faith there? Um, well, we'll come back tonight and, and touch on that. But listen, friends, God has called us. And let, let's conclude with this. Let's, let, let's, let's just conclude with a couple of verses. I can, let me just read this one to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. In the midst, this is a passage I use all the time at graveside services because it talks about this body being a temporary tent and that God has for us a heavenly dwelling and that life will, death will be swallowed up by life, mortality swallowed up by immortality like he does in 1 Corinthians. But in the midst of this, 2 Corinthians 5, it's just like he sort of breaks and says, oh, by the way, we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't like the new translations that say we live by. I like what it says in the Greek and what it says in the, We walk by faith, not by sight. Do you and I walk by faith? Let me ask you something. What, what aspect of your life right now what aspect of your family's life right now really is in front of you looming that you really don't know exactly how it's going to work out? What aspect of your life right now, your family, children, grandchildren, job, location, relationship, whatever, habits, what aspect of your life right now is just right in front of you that God has called you to walk by faith and not by sight? You don't have to see right now how it's going to work out. You don't have, you don't have to. Because God does. It's easy for God to take care of you. It's easy for God. The Lord Jesus Christ in, the, in Matthew 6 and 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, why do you worry so much about what you will eat or drink or clothes you will put on? Doesn't God even know the hairs on your head? Doesn't God know everything? Hasn't God already? I was watching two robins in our yard yesterday morning. And our dog, our little lost opposite Phoebe, um, who likes to think she can catch a squirrel, but she's never going to catch, you know. <laughs> but she didn't really seem to care about these two robins. And maybe she's figured that one out. I don't know. But just hopping around, hopping around, hopping around, hopping around, finding worms or something, a grub or something, you know, in our yard. You know, I mean, and, and those, wor- those birds work all day long. That's all they do is look for food and watch for predators. I don't know what else a bird does all day. <laughs> At least the ones I see are either looking for food or watching out for predators. <laughs> and Jesus says, but, but God takes care of them. 
Yes, they work. Yes, it's hard. But, but God takes care of them. And not one of them falls. To, I mean, think of that. Listen, do you really believe that? Do you really? Do I? I mean, they ask me. Come on now. Jim, do you really, do you really believe that every bird in this entire world, my earth, that God knows everyone that lights to the ground? Why does he care about that? Do you really believe that? And that's why Jesus said, if you had true faith, the the grain of a a mustard seed, if it was really that genuine and true, you could say to this mountain, you could do that. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Paul says. As we look through this series on these men and women in the Bible who are examples to us of Israel's faith community. The end point, the end point, I want you to keep in mind. At the end of chapter 11, keep this in mind as you read this, because the last section of chapter 11, beginning at verse 52, it's like whoever's reading this starts running out of time. It's like I'm running out of time. Okay, so... And he says, what else am I going to say? And he starts listing people. Then he just starts lumping these people all together. These people who were sawn asunder. They were cut in half. They were tortured. They were stoned. They gave up their families. They, 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 their story didn't end so well. They weren't saved at the last minute like Isaac. They died. They were killed. They were butchered. They were murdered. All these people that, that went through all this stuff. Israel, your faith community, your story is this. Verse 39, these were all commended for their what? Their faith, but none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so only together with us would they be made perfect or completed. This is Israel's story. These people that you think were such great men and women of the faith, Yet their faith in God was exactly that. They didn't see how it was going to work. They didn't understand about Jesus coming. They didn't. It hadn't been revealed all the details until later on. And went back and said, "Now we understand." But they were people of gigantic faith. Why? Because they believed when God said, "This is what it is. This is what it is." As I leave here today, and I think at times of my paltry faith. And I think at times, you know, do do I really believe that God is going to do what he says? Is it really easy for God to take care of me? Do I really walk by faith? I want to see, man, I want to see how it's going to work out. I want to see what's going to happen to my grandchildren. I want to, I'd like to see that. If God would just give me a glimpse right now. If I could look in the future in our country, in our culture, in our society, I would love to see it. But that's not really that important. It doesn't matter if I see it or not. God sees it. Our hope is built on nothing less than what? Let's close in prayer. And as we do so, let me just ask you, and I ask myself first, what would our homes and neighborhoods and communities look like? What would my home look like? If this month, April 2016, I actually lived what I believe. What would your families look like, parents? 
whether you're single, grandparents, whatever your situation here today, what might our homes look like if we really lived by faith and not by sight? Father, I pray that as a community of faith, as a faith community, that this church, that we would be a place where we will be nurturing and seeing and living genuine faith. That we would never take for granted what you have revealed of yourself to us. That we would love you. And that we would walk by faith. And as we're going to see in each case in this story of Hebrews 11, of obedience, of doing what you asked them to do, whether they understood it or not, that that's the kind of faith community that my grandchildren will be nurtured in. In Christ's name we pray.